Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, April 4th. We are here live. It's time for the Power Hour. Got the team here from Pittsburgh Power. We'll hear from them. Then we'll get to your calls and questions. It is a maintenance free for all. Line them up. Those phone lines are open right now. 855 950 We're just going to jump right into it this morning. Bruce, you're first up on the board. Welcome back. Hello? Bruce? Yes, you're there. I think you're there. Go ahead. Okay. Kevin. There you are. It was, you must have been talking when the beep came. Anyway, we had a wonderful truck show at Louisville. And we were very busy. Some people said this show was a little bit slower, but we certainly weren't slow. And we had a lot of people asking for Kevin Rutherford. Really? Why would they do that? Yeah, I made up. I made up a lot of stories of why you weren't there. <laughs> I'm sure you did. <laughs> you know, Bruce, it's funny because I was gonna, I was gonna mention that the. You know, the show for me, this first year, I've never been there that it was happening. I mean, in 30 some years. And the weird thing for me, you know, that's a long week when you're down there and setting up and doing the show. It's a long, long week when you're not there. But the show's going on. It seems like like it's over already. They're done. It seems like, you know, yeah. over already. It happens so fast. But I was also thinking what you just said. We've been going to that show for a long time. We've been through lots of economic cycles, lots of ups and downs. And at that show, that's what people are usually talking about because it's our industry and they get together, you know, a couple times a year. So they're always talking about what's going on in the industry. And you can see those swings in the crowd. Some years are really busy. But once we created that that area that you've been in for years, a lot of our other partners are in that area. That area just gets busy no matter what's going on in the show. And if you want to know what the show's really like, you have to leave that area and go walk through the rest of the show. Yeah, yeah it was a great show. It's always nice to see everybody and uh, people that you talk to on the phone. You finally get to meet them. So it was all good. Lots of questions about torsional dampers and uh, why you're supposed to change them. And, questions about the liner protrusion. A lot of people don't ask about liner protrusion when they're getting their engines built, and that's a mistake. And the questions about the turbocharging matching, and then, of course, gearing, you know. Yeah. What would be the best gears I can run? So all the normal questions, and what does the manifold and turbo do? And but So you can tell they were people that don't listen to this radio show. Ah, that's right. Yeah, because and then they know all and that. then we went to dinner with Larry, with Larry Long and his group, Chris and Larry, and met several of their drivers, and uh, it was a wonderful dinner. Great prime rib at Caesars. Good the casino, and uh, got to see what they're doing. They're doing a really nice program. Something that I didn't know, you know, after fifty-five years, you'd think you'd know this, but. Company drivers are not, and these are company drivers for large companies. They're not allowed to have a tool, a screwdriver or a pair of pliers in the truck. They are not allowed to go out of route. So if there's an accident on the interstate and they want to 
get off and let's say it's out in the Midwest where everything's a checkerboard and go a mile north and then head west again and then south and get back on and bypass the accident. They're not allowed to do that. They get fined $50 if they go out of route. It's just down to where they don't want you to think. All automatics. Oh, and you're not even allowed to have a road atlas in your truck. <laughs> no atlas and no tools. How the hell do you go drive with no atlas and no tools? <laughs> I was a little, I was a little surprised when I heard all this. You know? and, I, and so, uh, I, I'd yeah, feel like, I'd feel like I was driving around naked if I had no atlas and no tools. Yeah, me too. If I'm out of town and I'm buying, if I fly somewhere to pick up another pickup truck, first place I go to is Lowe's or Home Depot and I buy some tools because <laughs> I keep a toolbox in every truck. Right. Yeah, I know. So anyway, other than that, it was a great show. Uh, Dr. Jane Gates was there and talked to a lot of people and uh, explained the max mileage fuel borne catalyst to people and uh, we had some new dealers sign up, so it's a good show. Good, good. All right. Well, let's uh, let's hear from the rest of the crew. Leroy, Pete. Good morning. Good morning, Kevin. So I understand Bill has a question this morning. He does. Yeah. What's, what's Bill's question? He wants to know about monkey brittle. <laughs> has somebody told him? Does anybody? I don't know. He, I was on my way to the, over to the show, and he, he said, "Hey, ask Kevin about monkey brittle." And I said, "I would be delighted to ask about monkey brittle." Have you it's ever something had about smash the minute? I don't know. No, I don't think so. Heard of, you would I've had know. Bread. Had you would know if you've had it. I've had it. Yeah, <laughs> you you wouldn't forget it. It is like banana bread, but it has the texture of brittle. But the taste is exactly like banana bread. But the texture is brittle. It's really crispy, and it, it's, it is. I'm not exaggerating. I was just talking about this. The oh, I know why I was talking about this because of the Trump thing. Trump is basically being charged with paying somebody not to talk about something. And I said, we all do that. One of the strongest NDAs I've ever signed, a non-disclosure agreement, is with Monkey Brittle because it is a secret process to create it. And it is secret and you will not figure it out. I tried for a long time. And then we almost, we almost, well, we didn't buy the company, but we almost bought the license for the product. It, they, they were close friends of ours. It's a long story how the whole thing came about. The product almost disappeared. And then Lisa bugged the company for a year to make us a batch. They had stopped production and they made us a batch and we sold it out in like 15 minutes on the air, like 220 some bags. And then they would make a batch like once a month if we bugged them. And finally, they actually did find somebody to license it. And it's funny we're talking about it now because just yesterday I heard they're expanding. They bought some more equipment for the to make the product. But it, I have a very strong NDA. I can't tell you how that product's made. And there's nothing else like it. You've never experienced. Yeah, it's you've never experienced a food product like it. There's nothing to compare it to, other than saying it's. Do you have it in stock right now? 
I believe we do. They've been doing a pretty good job. They have been expanding. There was a time when every time we got a shipment, it just sold out. And we'd go weeks or sometimes more than a month without being able to get it. Pretty sure we're able to keep it in stock. We may be, I, I think we're still the only online distributor. They're starting to get a lot of distribution. I think they got almost all the Whole Foods stores around Portland now. It's made right here, 20 minutes away from us. But they're starting to get a lot of Why don't you send us? Why don't you send us 10? Oh, I'm sorry. Send us 10 bags. Angie, are you listening? Angie will make that happen today. Yeah, it's now. So here's here's the interesting thing. It is a dessert. This isn't something you should sit down and eat the whole bag. It's a treat. But it's only it's really got three ingredients. It's bananas, raisins, and nuts. That's it. There's nothing else in it. It's all organic and it's basically raw because it's never cooked either. That's maybe a little hint at the process, but I couldn't figure it out and I'm pretty good at that kind of stuff. But now I know how to do it and I've made it. And But you, it's just, you, there's, like I said, there's no other product like it. If you like the taste of bananas, you would have to love this product. Interesting. Angie, send it to the shop and then they can send me some bags and, and they can keep the rest and they can each try it. There you go. We, now, now, if you want to take monkey brittle to the next level, this is, you know, we, were, we weren't sure if we should release this to the general public or not. It's pretty powerful stuff. But we have a new nut butter in the store, too, all organic, just the only regenerative almond farm in the world that we're working with on this one. If you put that nut butter on the monkey brittle, it's game over. Yeah, there's, there's no resisting then. You should probably make sure you, there's only a little bit of the bag left when you try this. Hmm. It's almond nut butter. Almond nut butter. Does it come in a tub? Does it come in a tub? Little jar. Yeah, mm -hmm. a little jar. Send us ten of those too. Yeah, I was just gonna say, send them ten of those too, because you, you've got to try that combination. It's pretty incredible. All right. So we, we solved the monkey. Now Back I have all kinds of stories about monkey brittle, but we will move on. What do we have to deal with diesel engines today? Yeah, so speaking of monkey brittle, we have a <laughs> truck in the shop with a wiring issue. <laughs> it, it's, it's sort of the same old, same old. Um, but uh, I guess the only interesting thing is I, I this guy used a connector that's plastic and it screws together which in all my years i've never seen a uh a connector like this so that was you know, a, it was a little bit of something you know sometimes i wonder about the show some of the terminology we use if somebody's just like scrolling through and they happen to hear the show and start listening they hear us talking about rear ends and butt connectors and they screw together and they might get not the wrong butter. idea not butter. <laughs> they might yeah monkey nuts or whatever that stuff is they might get I, the wrong idea to put nut butter on your banana. <laughs> oh boy! That whole thing. Yeah, this this is going off the rails quickly here. Um, yeah. All right. But no, so, I, I I didn't have a whole lot. We got. I'm just catching up 
about the whole stuff from the show, meeting a bunch of people. It was really great to meet a bunch of people, listen to the show, put faces and names. It was a good show. We got to talk to a lot of people. And now, yeah, we're just kind of catching back up on a bunch of shop stuff. So Good, um, good. Yeah, that's hey, all that I kind of did. Bruce, back to you for just a second. You, you know, you mentioned a lot of questions about dampers. And obviously, if you listen to this show, you've known about dampers for decades now. But uh, isn't it so much easier to explain when you're standing there holding one? Sure. Yeah, you take it out of her and show it to them, and you show that it is made up of two pieces and how it moves, and you show them the Teflon on it and where the silicone goes. And what uh, I don't even know that I could make a guess at this, but how many owner operators do you think would not be able to identify or find the crankshaft damper on their truck today? One of the ones that listen to show and have been to the CMCs, so they all know it. They certainly know, yeah. One of those things, though, that like we just we get some, don't pay attention to. When we get somebody that calls us for the first time, they don't know the show, and our buddies told them to call us, and it's, it's a learning experience. I mean, they want you to tell, you, tell them everything that uh, there is, and, you know, that's four or five hours. <laughs> More longer. Yeah, at least right yeah you could just keep going you're right that's I, i've often said that was the power of the show that's why the show ha has been as popular as it is and grows because it's one of the mm -hmm. few places where you can hear this stuff over and over and over it's the repetition you know and a lot of people if you've ever listened to talk radio i've been listening to talk radio my whole life just about the one thing people will claim, uh, complain about is the repetition you get the same questions over and over and over year after year and then there are trends and things change but it is true there's a lot of repetition in talk radio why wouldn't there be there are only so many ways to do this right i'm not saying we know the only way but there are only so many ways to do this right and when it comes to maintenance it is what it is so you're going to get those questions over and over and over. Mm -hmm. But that's part of why people who listen to the show know that stuff so well, because they hear it so often. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, even think about your, your articles, Bruce, which have been powerful. You've been writing articles for years. I used to write a lot of columns. And that is a good way to get the word out. But think about that. That's once a month. It's once a month, and, and we spend, you know, mm -hmm. hours every day on the air here. That's right. This month I talked about fuel mileage and all the different things that uh, it takes for fuel mileage. It's not, some people say, oh, I had my truck programmed. I didn't get any fuel mileage. Well, <laughs> there's a lot more to it than yeah, that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I read an article. I was going to oh, wow. talk about it, but I didn't really feel like taking a lot of time on it. But you, you mentioned that a trucking company just got prosecuted for a programming scam. They were doing remote deletes, basically, um, some sort of remote disabling. Pretty big case, too. There was a lot of other shops involved. I was pretty shocked. I think like over 20 other shops 
and they prosecuted him for this. I don't know why people still continue to do. I know. Bruce, did we lose you? Did we lose me? Oh, hold on. Now I see what happened. Somebody stole my audio. I'm going to get it back here. There we go. Try that again, Bruce. Take it Oh, we did lose Bruce. We lost Bruce at the same time we lost my, or my audio just jumped over. Looks like he's dialing back. Oh, no, he's not yet. We'll see what happened with that. Um, we don't have any calls either. Not sure what's going on with the phones. Okay. 855-950-3835. We'll get Bruce back. Go ahead and line up the calls. Doesn't sound like uh, we have a lot today. We could talk if we want, but... Uh, I'd rather take your calls, so line them up. Pete, what do you got? So what I wanted to talk about, we had two things. First thing was turbo failures. We had a sort of customer turbo. His had failed, and the turbo came apart. And we told him, make sure you clean the intake side really well. If not, it'll damage the compressor wheel. And he did not clean it really well, and it did damage it. And what we found when he brought the truck back, like we pulled the whole intake piping off. I mean, every elbow, every clamp, and the little bits of the compressor wheel will be embedded in the uh, rubber of the boot. And then at some point, work its way loose. And when that turbo wheel is spinning at 20,000 RPMs, it doesn't take much to damage it. So you're saying when the turbo came apart on the compressor side, it blew all the chunks back into the intake where the air filter side is the clean air side that side will just hold if you don't clean that out those pieces will be in there and when you put the new turbo on being that's the the suction side it'll just suck all those pieces right back into the turbo correct yeah you got to pull the air cleaners out uh, possibly replace them depending on how much debris is there vacuum everything every elbow clamp has to come apart cleaned up wiped down and if there's a lot of debris in the air to air it should be taken off now they generally don't go backwards because you always have boost pressure pushing it and it can't get through to the engine but if you have a chunk in there rattling around you could put a hole in it so if there's a pretty bad um, compressor wheel coming apart we take the after cool or the air to air off as well and try to get anything any debris out of there how do you find stuff if it's in the air to air, it seems like that would be pretty hard well we shake it out and then use um, mineral spirits to wash it down to get out what we can Again, main thing would be any big pieces that might be rattling around in there that could cause a leak. So there might be little pieces in there, but that's okay if for the engine heat. Stuck. I mean, it won't get through the it seldom gets through the air to air to um, the engine, and if it's that fine, it doesn't seem to hurt anything. Mm. If it's yeah. dust or whatever, I guess to be completely safe is just to buy a new one if you're afraid. But and if there's oil in there, then you really got to be careful. You got to drain the oil and and flush it because the engine could run away on the fumes. So you don't want to... That's not good. No. <laughs> There's no governor then. Have you have you seen a uh, an engine be destroyed because something was stuck in the, the charge air cooler and then the engine eat it? Have you seen an engine be destroyed because of that? So even if there was something stuck in there, it's most of the time not going to be an issue. Can't get past it. It'll, it'll get squished in the, uh, the combustion yeah, like chamber. I've seen where they've... Um, 
damage the air there. They, they vibrated near him and put a leak in it. But mm. Never destroyed the engine. Didn't get yeah. back to the engine, no. Nothing gets stuck in the valve. I mean, I guess, yeah, it would be almost impossible for a big chunk like that to go all the way through. Yeah. Yeah, so just got to be careful and make sure it's clean well. And if a shop's doing it, make sure they do a good job cleaning it and not just, you know, a half acid. There you go. It's got to be clean. We've got Bruce back, so I'm going to bring him back into the conversation here. Bruce, welcome back. Okay. Yeah, lost lost the internet there. Now the internet's back, but I'm on my cell phone. Well, you're you sound good. We're we're all set there. You know, it's okay. interesting. While that was going on, and Leroy were talking about turbochargers, I had I hadn't finished my scrolling the news this morning, so I thought well, I'll just see what the rest of the headlines were. Here's the first headline I looked at when I looked over there: Vibratech TVD protecting the engines that move the world. That was the first article I saw. Well, yeah, whole article about Vibratech and viscous dampers. Mm -hmm. From who? It is in Fleet Equipment Magazine. Mm -hmm. Want me to send you a link? Yeah, did did Vibratech write the article, or did they write the article about Vibratech? It's a little, it's one of those advertorial kind of articles. So, yeah, it's, it's, Uh, it's one of those. Uh, but pretty good information. It's at least good to see. I'm putting the link in the show chat for the article. There you go. Uh, yeah, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I, I talked. Like you said in the opener, there's a lot of people that still don't know, even though we've been talking about it for years and years and decades. At this point, there was still like I talked to a guy at the show about it, and he gave the same symptoms that Bruce always talks about, where you know you put your foot on the step and he feels it. And he says, I, well, I've never replaced it. I did an in-frame, and I never replaced it. And he said, why, why does it feel rough at idle? I was like, well, <laughs> I would start by changing the damper. Yep, that'll do it. Like, like before we go into figuring out whether we have a hot injector or a cold injector or if they put the right trim codes in and all this, you know, in-depth analysis, let's just change the thing that needs changed anyway. It had 900,000 miles on it. It's time. It's way past time. Almost time for the second replacement so that that's an engine that should have been on its third damper and was still on its first i mean i can agree and i'm i'm like that sometimes where i try to figure out things the hard way but in this case it seemed like a pretty easy you know just just try the easy thing first right right or try the thing that you should do anyway we just had this call the other day with fuel lines it was, you know, well past the point that it wouldn't have been a bad idea to replace fuel lines. I think we're recommending about 750,000 miles. That's a long time. You got a lot of use out of those fuel lines. You should just replace it then, and you probably won't have any problems. But if you haven't replaced it by that point, and this truck was like 900,000, I think, if you haven't replaced them, go ahead and do it. It needed it anyway, and it might just solve the problem. The other thing I always preach is, you know, sort of while you're in there doing the fuel lines, you may notice another problem that's completely related. You might be under there and you see the harnesses all chewed up. There's green everywhere. Yeah. I was like, oh, well, I wouldn't have saw that unless I did the fuel line. Yep. Good point. 
So if I'll post this up on uh, Trucking Tribe as well. It actually is a good... It's a good basic article. You know, Bruce, same thing. They're recommending 500,000 miles. This is the first time I've seen this, though, or 15,000 hours. I've never seen an hourly rating. Yeah, that's why we say 10 years. Yeah, they do talk in here about the um, severe duty for the ISX, the difference in the the thickness of the severe duty. It's a, it's a well-written article. Good. You know, back to fuel lines, when you and I first started doing the show, we talked about fuel lines a lot because on the big cam Cummins, they send a lot of fuel back to the tanks. So fuel restriction was very critical. And we found that after eight years or, or was it eight, eight, no, I'm sorry, 800,000 miles, the Stratoflex air equipped type line would start to swell shut on the inside. You can look on the outside of the line, it looks fine but it swells shut on the inside. So now in the new electronic engines, we've kind of got away from that, but yet they return a lot of fuel too. Peter, Leroy, have we ever had anybody come in with an electronic engine and had low power and it turned out to be fuel restriction? Oh yeah, I'm sure we have. I can't think of any specific cases, but. Yeah, we had that one C12. Which one? The C12, back in like, the wash bay and it was plugged up fuel filters oh yeah that one was a i don't want to talk about that one <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah i mean just but, like any engine now that one was filters i don't think it was lines but you know it's the same line they used whether it was the big cam or a 2000 you know eight truck 2007 truck it's the same lines so they all swell shot or can suck air over time they need replaced We do get a lot of trucks in to put on the dyno for power issues and we'll run them on a dyno and see the low power. And then we change the fuel filter and the power is back. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty common fix on cats. It seems like, it seems like with 60 series, almost nine out of 10 times or eight out of 10 times, it's always injectors. Uh, every time we see a, a 60 series with low power, like the power is almost where it needs to be, but, the torque on the low end, it's like 200 foot pounds shy. As soon as I see that, we almost don't even need to do any further diagnostics because we've, we've been down this road so many times that it's just always at injectors. Um, we see that a lot, more so than fuel filters on 60 series. Yeah, the 60 series okay. injector issue has been quite a while now. We've been fighting that for a long time. And that's generally fueling the um, oil right. issue we seem to see with the Detroit is more so than a power issue right we see tend to see soot start to go up first then we see fuel dilution start to go up and you know complain about lack of power and you can almost bet it's injectors and then the problem is you're gun shy because how many times have we seen people replace a six-pack and still have a problem oh frequently yeah i got frustrated spoke with a customer that had one at the show and it's to the point now, now fortunately he doesn't many miles on and he's in the process of getting rid of the truck and getting something newer. And one of the reasons is the injectors, they will, um, you know, fuel dilution and, and a noticeable amount. I mean, 2%, 3%, um, you're not going to find it. His will go up to 10%. They'll find an injector or two. It's been times they've replaced a whole set, um, but he, he, 
can't go more than like 12,000 miles with an oil change because of fuel dilution. That's insane. Oof. Yeah, that's that's frustrating. Pete, I spoke with him also. You, you remember how many sets of injectors he actually put in that engine? No, but it was quite a few. It was more than just a couple. It was a you know couple sets. Over I think he's gone through 10 sets, 60 injectors. Yeah. That's quite a... I was, I was kind of shocked when he told me that. Yeah. Oh, that's awful. Can't imagine. Hey, you know, one wow. other thing um, I enjoy when the truck shows around, I usually enjoy going so this year, but there's a lot of good articles being written right now. I'll probably spend the rest of the day just going through because all the reporters go there, they see all the new products, you know, I'm sure that's why Vibratech had their article right now, probably because of the show. Here's another interesting one though, because it's about fuel economy. And I remember my reaction when I saw this device, you know, I've been doing the whole fuel mileage thing for a lot of years. And when I go to truck shows, I'm always looking, what's, is there something new out there? Something I don't know about. And when I see a product for fuel mileage, the first thing I do is, does it make sense? Does this product impact one of the areas of physics that could improve fuel economy? Does it even have a chance? And you see some goofy stuff and many of it, you can look at it and go, yeah, I'm not going to waste too much time on that. And I did with this product in the beginning. And then I had to stop and think, no, wait a minute. If it does what it says it does, it would impact fuel economy. But could it possibly be enough? And the product, and this goes way, way back, but the product was aerodynamic mud flaps. Remember when those first came out? I laughed at them. I thought they're a joke. I thought, come on, that can't possibly make a difference. Here's a quote actually from um, Royal Jones, who's the CEO of Messiah Valley. When he first saw them, he, here was his quote, we're not running those fly swatters on our equipment. Three months later, they had them on the <laughs> truck. And they were actually able to prove, Pete, you were just talking about, you know, small percentages. They were able to prove slightly less than a 1% improvement. Now that's hard to prove. It takes a lot of trucks. You know, we've been proving fuel mileage stuff for a long, long time, decades. And I did it with three trucks. You know, we have a lot of people out there now doing it. And it's hard when you're working with small numbers of trucks. To get to these really tiny improvements, you need a big number of trucks and a lot of miles. I talked a lot about Schneider was able to prove that wheel covers worked. But wheel covers, the improvement was so tiny, it was a quarter of a percent for each wheel you covered. And it took Schneider almost three years of testing to figure that out. But once we knew it, then I said, well, you'd be crazy not to put wheel covers on. We know there's an improvement there. They're cheap. Just do it. Probably the same thing with these mud flaps. 1% for their fleet switching to these aerodynamic mud flaps for their fleet, and they have the numbers to prove it, $275,000 a year in fuel savings. Isn't that incredible? For aerodynamic mud flaps. Like I said, the first time I saw them, I laughed at them. I thought they were a joke. 
Yeah. And that, you know, especially when you have a lot of trucks, that's yeah, going right. to add up quick, you know, versus a customer truck. Yeah. And, and what I've said it is sense it, to go that route. Yeah. If we're serious about saving money and I am in business, I don't see any other way to be in business. And that's going to pay off heading into what we're dealing with now. But I said, we couldn't prove those numbers ever. The way we test fuel mileage, we would never be able to prove that. But once somebody does prove it, why wouldn't you do it? You're going to put mud flaps on your truck anyway. Why not put aerodynamic mud flaps instead? I agree. I can remember Henry Albert. This was before there were even, I'm pretty sure it was Henry, before there were even aerodynamic mud flaps. I think he had thought about this and he would trim the mud flaps so they didn't stick out past the width of the tire at all. Another good idea. They still are just as effective, but there is an an improvement there. Henry was, I'm pretty sure it was Henry again, thought about where they mount the license plate on the trailer. It hangs down into the Airstream. He moved it so it wasn't in the Airstream. I mean, little crazy things like that. You'd never be able to prove that made a difference. Amazing. Yeah. 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 But, all right. So, let's see. I have have one more. Go ahead. I want to touch on, if we haven't. So, you were talking about stuff, products that you saw at the show. So, I got a few questions about a product that people saw at the show. I didn't specifically see it, but it was the sacrificial metal for you know, rust prevention on a truck. Do you hear about that, Pete? Yeah, I've seen that on other shows. Is zinc that they were? Yeah. <clears throat> so their advertisements show like how it works in the marine industry, how you put sacrificial metal on the hull because it's a steel piece. And if you put it in salt water, obviously that's not great. And I guess there's a company that's just putting them just on frame rails or something. Like I said, I didn't see the booth, but people were asking me about it. And I was like, no, that doesn't work. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? So, I mean, I don't, can't go into the whole physics of how this all works. I don't remember, but basically the story is you have to have an electrolyte or some sort of conducting conductive medium to transfer the electrons from like the iron to the zinc. And it doesn't work in open air. Open air isn't, it can't conduct that sort of electricity or electrons through it. So, it works in water or in the ground because you can, so there's moisture and stuff and it can conduct, but open air, if you just put zinc on the side of your frame rail, it's just going to just mine the wind. Got it. So salt water, by the way, conducts electricity even better than non-salt water. So that would work well in the oceans. This idea of using zinc as a rust protectant isn't new. It's about a hundred years old, isn't it? This isn't anything new. Yeah, this is, it's it's old technology, and it's it's effective in the right sort of you know, environment. Here, but here, yeah, just going down the road is not that environment. Here's my thought. Sometimes I wonder if we're even talking about the the correct argument or not. I look around at trucks today. Why do we need it? My, the trucks are lasting so long anymore. We don't even know what to do with them. The engines are lasting long, so we're not rebuilding them, and we're all kind of scratching our head about that. What are we going to do with What do you mean we don't have to rebuild it? But we don't. They're going a million plus. They're still not using oil. Look around at those trucks that are coming up on a million and a half miles. The frame rails look fantastic. 
What problem are we trying to solve? Yeah, and it's not like cars in the automotive industry, especially up here in the Rust Belt, where, you know, something with 60,000 miles on it might start rusting out. But the car's 10 years old. Well, a 10-year-old truck has seven, eight, nine hundred thousand miles on. I mean, you're getting to the end of its useful life or you're going to, you know, have to start investing a lot of money into this. So when you talk about cars rusting out today, I I think you got to be kidding me. So this would have been in the late seventies. I actually went to school for body work. You know what the first skill they taught us was the very first skill we learned to do body work back then. Do you know what it was? Welding and brazing with a torch. No, welding and, welding and brazing with a torch. Before you could get out the can of Bondo, you had to put new metal back in. That's, that was the first skill we learned was how to yeah, weld, right. weld or braze sheet metal to replace what was gone because the rust would eat the entire panel away. I mean, that never happens anymore. They, these cars last so much longer. Back then... <laughs> That we used to do a lot of replacing and welding in sheet metal patches to cars. That's how bad it was. I mean, they're they're definitely better than they were, but they're not they're not perfect. So. No. I, ran, I got an eleven Ranger, and the rad supports rusted. Yeah, got to replace it, the rad support, which is kind of funny. That wasn't part of the body. You know, the body used to be the first thing to go. Remember the company Zbart? Mm-hmm. They were huge. Mm-hmm. Z-Bart. When you bought a new car, you would immediately drive it over to Z-Bart and they would drill holes all over underneath and shoot basically like a tar-like substance up inside the body panels to try to protect them. I mean, a lot of cars now, all the rocker panels are all plastic, you yeah. know. Yeah, just all kinds so of much composites, of it just, right. Yeah. Plastic. So just, yeah. yeah. So what's ironic, my 99 Ranger, I got rid of it in 11 only because it's the last year they made them. It looked fine from the outside, but underneath was really rusting. And I had lost a shock mount. So it was banging around. So I'm just going to take it off and instead of bolts, rivets. So I, I knocked them out with an air hammer. And when I pulled the, the truck forward, you can see where the two frame rails were from rust dripping off. You know, the- and when I went to, when I bought it, I was going to get it undercoated. And they're like, if you undercoat it, we won't honor any of the warranty. Oh, really? <laughs> Now, when I got my Bronco, um, this year I, I bought a Bronco, and they're like, yeah, we've changed our tune on that. Definitely get it undercoated. So since we're talking about this, the welding and the undercoating, so it was a really common thing to just, like, sit down on the, the shop floor with your legs underneath <laughs> the vehicle and sitting there welding or brazing in a panel. Now, you had to be very careful because if that vehicle had been undercoated, that is now dripping, flaming tar dropping down off the inside of that panel. Which yeah. is a good time. Yeah. I've heard. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, you know, I was lean stuff. It was out pretty quick. Yeah. You know, here's that product, that idea of protecting those frame rails, that kind of stuff. The market I see for that really are the people who want to restore old trucks. There's a market there, but like Leroy just said, it doesn't work. So there's that problem too. Even if you need this product, it doesn't work in the air. So 
there's there's that. But I challenge somebody to walk around any truck stop today, walk around 10 truck stops today. And I doubt that you're going to find many trucks where you would say, boy, I'd really like that truck, but these frame rails are a mess. If the frame rails are a mess, you probably don't like anything else about the truck. <laughs> yeah. Right? It's going to be junk. Yeah, it felt a little bit devious. Yeah. Uh, well. Yeah, no, you're right. We don't see a lot of trucks uh, here, even the old ones that not have anymore. frame rail issues or like shock mounts or rotted all over. Oh, yeah. cab over looks good still. I mm-hmm. put a cab over from the mid 80s in a shop. And still yeah, exactly. It broke down most of the time. So she <laughs> lives in a garage. She lives in a shop. Which, which all is. All the smoke from when you fire it up covers everything, the rust off of it. And you got to do a rebuild, what, every 30,000 miles? No. <laughs> put new bearings in. You can tell Leroy is not a big cam fan. <laughs> I just like to smoke pot. I know. Uh, yeah, like I said, if the frame rails are that bad on a truck today, then the rest of the truck is probably just junk anyway. Uh, like it, it, either you're you're going to recondition really old trucks and turn them into show trucks, and then, you know, and in that case, honestly, you've probably got your own method of whatever you're blasting the frame with, and then you're custom painting it anyway. So I just don't see a, a real use for this in the trucking industry. Not to mention, again, that it doesn't work anyway. Yeah, that's the biggest point. It was right. just devious marketing that's yeah. like, oh, look at all these boats and yeah. they don't rust out. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. In the water. If, if, I ever, if I ever plan on storing my truck in salt water, I'll make sure to call this company. <laughs> yeah, that's a good <laughs> idea. Yeah. All right. Anybody? Yeah, and so in the salt water, we use. Go ahead. We use zincs on the on the propeller shafts. Zinc, some are aluminum, some are zinc on the rudders. Um, anything that's down underneath, um, they have the zincs or the aluminum discs, and they're sacrificial, and they do wear out pretty fast. Well, and there, there you and go. Inside Just, the engines, you said it's all underneath, yeah. under the water line, which is what. Leroy explained that's why this product works. It's not in the air. It's underwater. Right. Yeah. Water conducts electricity. There are signs at large marinas. I said, don't get in the water because of electro. Electrocution. I'm not saying that quite right. You get electrocuted because some boats are putting an electrical charge into the water because of their grounding system is bad. Oh, that's bad. That's bad. Oh, yeah, that's bad. Did, did anybody watch that? Uh, I don't remember if it was a Netflix. might have been Netflix. It was one of those series. Ozark. Anybody watch that? No. Obviously no. not. It's, um, it's kind of interesting. It's nope. a weird. I forget how many seasons they had a bunch. It's, uh, it's even hard to describe what the storyline's about, so I won't even try. The reason I mentioned it is because that was one of their preferred methods of killing people. They would rewire um, the the docks. They were on the they were in the Ozarks and they were on a big lake there. But they would rewire the docks so that when somebody went to plug their boat in, or they would get shocked and they'd be in the water and it would usually kill them. So that was one of their preferred methods of offing somebody. <laughs> Wow. 
All right. I hate when that happens. I know. On that happy note, should we go to some phones? Sure. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's go to North Carolina to get started. Danny, welcome to the program. Hey, good morning. What's on your mind You missed today? a pretty good show, Kevin. Of course. The first yeah, day I, I don't know it's kind a of give you a, show. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll give you a quick recap. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Tell me about it. Um, Well, talked to quite a few people. I talked to Pete a little bit about the Cascadia that I got, the 2011. Talked to Joel about his truck, which was interesting because I learned something. Because when he talks about, uh, oh, what did I call it? I forget what the... It's like wheel torque <clears throat> when you, with that liftable axle, when you, when you accelerate, you know how you get axle wind up. Right. And when he explained it the way, cause their suspension's all different than my Volvo cause it's an older one, but yeah, I talked to him for a bit. Steve Crone showed up, talked to Henry Albert about his truck, talked to Pete. Oh, said that already. Kevin Beckett, he was there, was talking to him. Good. Dr. Barry, I waited around Saturday morning, went to see his uh, little speech thing, which it's kind of the same thing you've been hearing for the past couple of years, you know, about uh, what to eat and what not to eat. Right. But it was good to see him and talk to him for a few minutes. Good. So, um, one side note here, I don't know if you've seen that post I put up, Kevin, there, the, one of my orders, the uh, chill cacao. Yeah. Had an empty packet. Really? And That's bizarre. Uh, yeah. I, I posted it up on the group kind of as a joke, and uh, Angie seen it, and she was she, she made a comment that was trying to be funny, and then I don't, I don't know, think she she thought maybe I took it the wrong way and uh but she called me and said well we got a new one out and I was like well you didn't have to and I already got an email and so she sent a whole nother box out which was she was like well was it empty before or after you poured it in the cup (laughs) and I'm like well you can tell it never had anything in it because it was clean right right yeah, that would be bizarre. But, so you had a, a box, but one packet out of the box didn't have anything in it. Yeah, it was a new new box, yeah. top packet. I took it out, and I'm like, this don't feel right. And I'm shaking it, and then I ripped it open. I look, and it was empty. And I'm like, well, that ain't right. Yeah, so, that's weird. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, I've watched enough shows on, you know, production oh, through yeah. different foods and things and you know it's yeah i told her it wasn't no big deal but she sent out so kudos to her well good and uh i took the motor home up there which was nice so i parked across from the show truck so i didn't have far to walk plus it was nice uh breakfast supper i mean it's you know bacon eggs steak oh yeah coffee yeah all right there didn't have to didn't have to go anywhere um so that was a good time, and the only issue there, that wind was unreal. Holy crap. I don't know if 
Pete and uh, Bruce had went outside that night, but good. I ended up my awning come loose, and the wind had that. I ended up having to stop at a pilot, and I waited for the wind to die down. I had to get some tools and actually take the entire awning off and uh, scrap it because it was just all bent up. But you know, I was Friday night. It was old. You know that that, that was. Uh, I go ahead. I left Saturday after about, I left about noon Saturday. So I was trying, I should have just stayed there because that, that was a pretty severe wind. You could hardly walk outside. So the weather's always a story at Louisville. I mean, that's always part of the story every year. They just, that, that is a volatile time of the year for that part of the country. You could have a snowstorm, you could have a tornado, you could have a heat wave. You just never know. The other thing I will say, though, another story, awnings on RVs. There's an opportunity there if somebody can ever figure out how to build awning system that is safe in the wind. We almost never use our awnings anymore. And it's a shame, it's, they're nice. We're very, very careful about it. I have had so many awnings torn up because of wind. And on, on the coach we have now, this is, sounds insane. I, have, I did not buy this new, I didn't pay anywhere near what this thing went for new, but just to give you an idea, the awning system on the coach I have is an upgrade. It's their best awning system available. The option, the option for the awning was $18,000. That's the upgrade on the awning itself. And you can't use them. Um, one of the very first, and they have sensors on them. You can set the sensitivity. If they notice wind, they, they automatically retract on their own. So I'm thinking, well, that's safe. No. So I set it at its most sensitive because I'd rather have it, you know, go in rather than get torn up. Uh, and the very first time, one of the first times we used it, we got a gust that happened so fast, the sensor didn't have time to react and it tore the awnings up and now they're out. So you can't go anywhere until you fix these awnings. And even all the way down to the little awning on the Sprinter, same way. And it has an automatic retraction. We almost won't use them. I, I've just had so many awnings torn up. I'm always messing with them. You get them out, they get cranked by the wind. You got to start messing with them or they get torn up so bad you have to have somebody come out and bring parts. So I think there's an opportunity there if somebody could ever figure out a better awning system. Yeah, well, this happened actually going down the road. I was looking in the mirror and I see one of the arms come out a little bit and I'm like, well, I better pull over and oh, fix it. I've I come off happen. the exit. I made the turn. Yeah. So I had, I ended up, I had to drive slow, just make sure it didn't like go flying off, but it didn't open all. It was only one arm, the latch, it must've come loose or That's... broke, but I was lucky. I was able to get the thing off the, I mean, everything, the bracket, if you look, it looks like there never was an awning. And I'm probably not going to replace it because it's, you know, it, you don't, I've pain. never used it. 
They're a pain. If you can use them on a nice, hot, sunny day, they're fantastic. But like I said, we just got to the point where it's not worth the risk of putting them out, having something happen to it, and then you can't get it back in. Yeah. Um, anyway, let me just tell you, Mike, you know I've got 2011 Cascadia. It's a DD-15 with two-pedal Eaton Auto Shift. And I finally got all the crap fixed on it. Uh, I was out running it the week before last week, and I actually took a liking to it, much as I hate to say it, but it's, it's kind of nice getting the AC fixed and it developed a fuel leak at the back of the motor. So they're fixing that too. So I'm actually in the 03770. Um, but this week I'm just, it's seasonal work. This is my nursery stuff. So I'll be doing this probably the next couple of months. So Hopefully, uh, and the money is good. It doesn't fluctuate like, uh, you know, regular rates. So I'll be, uh, it's, it's not a lot of miles, but it's good revenue per mile. It's just not, you're not running, you know, 3000 miles. So I might only run 1500 miles all week, but you know, if I can make 4,500, five grand, I'm not complaining. So, and home on the weekends. That's right. So that's about it. Uh, We'll talk to y'all later. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for the call. One other thing I was going to talk about at the open, I forgot about it. Um, You know, it's interesting. We've been talking about fuel prices for a while now, and they've been coming down week after week after week after week. That's been the pattern for a long time. Every week they've been dropping. We're still in the $4 range, which any other time historically When we're over $4 on fuel, that's all anybody talks about. It's like a disaster. This time it went up so high that now we're down into the low fours and it seems like a break. I think those days are over again. OPEC announced yesterday they're cutting half a million barrels a day of production. And obviously we're not upping any production in this country. So the prediction is, and it's summer, driving season. So... The prediction is fuel prices are heading back up and they'll probably be up all summer. The other thing that I just can't believe nobody talks about, we're not really complaining about the fact that we took our oil reserves down to their lowest level in 40 years and they're still down there. That, that should have been replaced a long time ago, but we can't replace them because oil prices are so high. But that puts us in a really vulnerable position if OPEC stops pumping oil and we're not pumping oil and we don't have a reserve. So don't don't think that fuel prices are getting cheap enough that you can start ignoring fuel again. I don't think that's ever the case, but it certainly looks like the prices are on their way back up. Let's go to Missouri. Richard, welcome to the program. Hello. What's on your mind today? Speaking of fuel injectors on 60 Series, I had a fuel dilution on this truck since I bought it. It's been in the fours. Went up to 5.8, I think, and now it's back down to 3.9, I believe, my last 
oil sample. I have noticed that whenever I'm like in traffic or going through a parking lot and just moseying along about maybe 1400 RPMs in low gear, maybe fourth or whatever, that it starts sounding like it's sputtering and I can I can mash on a little bit and get out of it and change gear and whenever I do that I can notice in the back my on my weed burner I can see a big old puff of white smoke coming out. It only does that if I, I if I if I'm like running for any length of time, like maybe thirty seconds or a minute or whatever, it'll It'll start sputtering and doing that. Yeah, we we see those a lot, and we fix a lot of them. It's just it's in the program. For some reason, the filter torque algorithm grabs the timing and sends negative five degrees, or sometimes it waits depending on how it's programmed. It's negative ten degrees, and once we get rid of that and set the bare minimum to you know five degrees before top dead center instead of five degrees after top dead center that clears up the the stumble um like i said we do it all the time it's just a simple program issue you can get it fixed here or you could go to any one of our remote dealers and it's a five minute fix yeah I, i've got a the laptop so would that cause would that cause fuel dilution also by that um, is, it, is, is that, that pouring pour too much fuel into into the system, the reason why it does that? Yeah, when you see the unburnt fuel coming out of the exhaust, the big uh, puff of smoke, that is, you know, pretty well unburnt fuel. So if it does it all the time, that could that could increase your fuel dilution for sure. Okay. How much does it cost to get that fixed? Like, say, I got the uh, laptop. Uh, if you got the laptop and we're not doing a full tune, we're just fixing that. Probably charge you an hour of labor, so $132. Okay. May do that this week. Next week I'll be also I may can do it then, but we'll we'll be getting that done. Talk to JR or you or who? Yeah, probably gonna be JR. He handles most of the remote stuff and just ask him okay. to fix the Detroit stumble and he knows what to do. Okay, cool. All right. Appreciate it. All right, thanks for no the problem. call. Here's another Yes, sir. Here's another headline that's fitting for today's show. Um, California becomes first government in the world to mandate electric trucks. So, and the Biden administration and the EPA have approved this for California. So, as of right now, um, half of all heavy trucks sold in California will be fully electric by 2035. That's not that far away. I think this is a disaster. And when they say fully electric, does that mean no hydrogen electric? Fully electric to me means battery electric. No hybrid, no hydrogen. Yep. That's insane. That's battery only. That's insane. What about the truck dealers? What if you own a truck dealer in California and you're, you're only, you're not going to be able allowed to sell a certain number of internal combustion engines anymore. I, I just can't believe we allow one state yeah, to I mean, hold dealers, a hostage like jobs. this. 
I mean, even well, they got to get rid of it. Going to be a huge bit on that. In protax, there's no. Yeah, how they can tax it? Tax oh, I'm sure. They'll yeah, probably they'll, tax they'll, the they'll charging. Tax it. They'll tax the charging station. Absolutely. There's, there's, there's no way they can't. If, if half of those trucks, there's no way they afford to lose that revenue. And the other states now, it'll have to be its own road Well, and here's the other thing: you're in California. They're going to force somebody to buy these electric trucks. Well most of the people that could potentially use them, you're not going to be able to take them out of California because you're not going to have enough charging stations. I can't get there. My yeah, battery right. won't last. Exactly. What a mess. I just, I can't believe we keep allowing California to, to screw up the whole industry like this. Anyway, we'll keep an eye on that. Let's go to Georgia. Jeremy, welcome to the program. Hello, I have a uh, Freightliner Cascadia 2016. It's got a DD15. Got a question for you guys. Why is there no aftermarket upgrade parts for the DD series? Like turbos, exhaust manifold, Vibratech doesn't make a damper. Doesn't sound like the any reason for the damper you, was. You kind of broke up on us there, at least on our side. <laughs> okay. Did they bring the uh, the damper? They they put the belt groove on the outside of the pulley, and they brought the price way down, so it wasn't feasible to make a damper. The exhaust manifold, in my understanding, I think it fits so close to the head there was no room for improvement. Do you recall that, Pete? Well, the, the, oh, the damper, you are correct. It, it's a little more involved because the damper is also the pulley. you got the grooves on there. Right. And they were pretty affordable from Detroit because they're getting them made in India or China. And for Vibratech to make one, they would have to charge quite a bit more. And unfortunately, a lot of people aren't looking at quality. They just want a cheap price. Well, I already this changed mine. Right? I already changed mine to four hundred and fifty thousand. I'm just stop. Probably, I'm, yeah. I'm I'm coming up on eight hundred, and I'm probably going to be changing it again later this year. But yeah, I, I had to go through Freightliner and just get the stock one. Yeah, yeah. I I That's talked right. to a few people at the show about uh, developing products for the DD series engine. One guy we talked to about a turbo. Pete and I talked to him. I talked to a couple other people. So yeah, I I see that there's a hole there, and a lot of people are asking for it. Um, I think there are some inefficiencies in the DD engine. I won't go into them, but, uh, yeah, I, I'm trying to bring some new stuff out. So I hear you. I, I agree with you. Okay. I was just curious. I can tell you one major, uh, bad thing about the DD, well, Freightliner in general is their damn wiring harnesses. So you keep talking about the one boxes going out, um, starting at like 500,000 miles. Like I said, I've got 780,000 on this one now. And I've been doing a lot of uh, lot of work with mine. I've got my scan gauge rigged up through Xcodes. I don't know if you guys remember that, but you can actually, your scan gauge, you can go through and request Xcodes through linear logic. Right. And you can pull up out of the ECM a whole bunch of extra stuff that's not pre-programmed. Correct. So I go down the road, I go down the road reading my knocks in and knocks out sensors. 
And they, before yep. they go bad, they will start doing some really goofy stuff. Like it'll just, just out of the blue, start reading a thousand minus 100, go back up to 500. And then for several days, it'll read perfect. And then it'll do it again. And again, it just keeps getting more and more frequent. I'm glad you mentioned that. We just talked about that last week. And I said, I think we've got to start looking at some of these sensor values. Like we look at other gauges. I mean, historically we've looked at, you know, boost gauge and pyro gauges to, uh, find an issue, but we're going to have to start looking at some of this other stuff to, to catch issues early. In there. Right. Another thing I do is, uh, I, Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say there. There's a you know you came up with a really good one that you were able to do right on the scan gauge, and you can watch it while you're driving. Well, another thing I do is since I bought this truck, I record my depth mileage right along with my fuel mileage, and I've done every fill up for the past almost four hundred thousand miles, and. One of the values that I keep looking at and I go back and check is the percentage of my def burns to my fuel. And it's always around 2.5%. It was 2.5% when I first got it, and it's, it varies between 25 and 2.9% now. And so what that tells me is that my one box is still working well. Because if it starts going bad, the, you know, the SCR is not going to be working, and it's going to be wanting to pump more def in there to compensate, Correct. Yeah. Yeah. If the SCR starts to, I just had one like that last week that the SCR was exposed to moisture and it was compromised. So it tried to spray more depth in order to lower the knocks. Their mileage was all the way down. I think 60 to 80 miles per gallon on depth versus like the 180 uh, that it was supposed to be. I'm pushing 300. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I've, like I said, I've, I've watched that very close, but like I was saying, the wiring harnesses on the Detroit and Cascadia in general. I had the main power wire going to my depth pump, breaking half inside the harness on me a couple of years ago. And I discovered that because I, yeah, I, I took the, uh, I took my laptop out, pulled it up, was looking at it, go, okay, I've got no depth pressure. I was also seeing on my stand gauge that my knocks in and knocks out were identical. So I was like, well, nothing's happening. Changed the pump thinking that was what was wrong, but two days later started acting up again. And after laying on the ground in 20 degree weather with the wind blasting and doing a lot of troubleshooting, I finally found that broken wire in the harness. Repaired it, mm-hmm. it worked perfect. Um, I like to go on YouTube also and just kind of pull up maintenance videos. Wealth of information on those. This one Detroit mechanic made a, made a video, and the title of it was, you know, quirky or weird issues with the one box. And he said he came down to one thing. He said the wiring harness is going bad in these. But it'll look like the sensors, or it'll look like the one box itself is just gone. That, is that the one that wraps over the transmission? No. The this is the one, no, no, this is the one that just wraps around the one box. Oh, uh, Okay. And I go, anybody out there with, you know, you got 600, 700,000 miles on there, that harness is only 250 bucks. And if you've got any kind of mechanical skill, you can change it yourself. And that'll save you a lot of headaches. If you need those little wires, you know, they break or they rub and 
you know, shooting circuit across each other, you're you're probably going to get a whole bunch of funky readings, and just changing the sensors obviously isn't going to help it. Right. Exactly. I mean, I I have also had the same problem in the uh, the engine. I kept getting a, I can't remember the number on the code, but basically it was saying I had a dead cylinder. And it would only pop up for a second, but the code was persistent. So I would have to sit there and go pull my laptop out again, go through the entire troubleshooting tree. And at the end of that tree, if everything else was right, the last step was to pull the head and inspect the cylinder. I was like, wow, you got to be kidding me. So I would, I would get the code cleared. It would go away for about six or seven months. And then just, what, you know, in the morning, I'd start the truck up to build the air pressure damn code would come back. Finally discovered that I was getting a funky contact in the, on the head where the uh, wiring harness attaches to go into the injectors and uh, take the, the, circle, the circle connector, right? Right. And it was always the number five cylinder. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So last year, pulled the valve cover to do the overhead. I was like, Wow, I'm already in here. These things are weeping oil anyway, so I went ahead and changed them, and that hasn't happened since. Yeah. Yeah, I just, uh, we were just talking about that earlier, but sort of like while you're in there, you know, where you're just going in there, do the overhead, and you're like, hey, while I'm in here, I'll do this. And then you fix an right. issue that you weren't even uh, looking for. And uh, one last thing, uh, I took this thing to you guys a couple years ago to do a tune. And this is with Ethan. He could not get it to take a full tune. And I don't know if you guys are still running into that issue on the DDs or you solved it. Yeah, we've, uh, yeah, we solved that issue. It was, it was another fuel limit table that we were running into, uh, specifically like the charge air fuel limit table. So he would only let you spray so much fuel per degree of charge air temperature. And once you raise those limits to what you needed to, then you're, you're good to go there. So, okay. Yeah, well, I'm pretty happy with the truck now. You, he was able to get it up to around you know five fifteen, five twenty horsepower, and uh, mm -hmm. almost eighteen hundred on the torque. Yes, yeah, five hundred seventeen fifty is what you can do with the the torque mass. Really? Because he was wanting to get a lot more, and that was like the limit that he could get to. Yeah, like I said, and if you don't modify all the oh, other the limit oh, tables. Okay. All that you get, yeah. Well, like I said, I'm pretty happy with it, and um, you know, Pete, I don't think you remember, but you know, you guys didn't even charge me for it because he was so disappointed that he couldn't get the full charge on it. So, right, yeah, it didn't get you a whole lot, but something should be noticeable. We'll be happy to take your money now. <laughs> no, I'm sure you would. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, right, well, yeah, I mean, I if you ever want to come in, you could you can come into our shop or any one of our remote dealers. If you ever want to make a tweak to that tune, if you want to just a little bit more power, we won't charge you to do that. Or if you want to see if we can make some modifications for some fuel mileage, we've learned a lot in the last couple of years. So there might be some updates and some improvements to the tune that you have now. Perfect. All right. Let's, uh, one more thing, another headline I want to talk about. Um, the train derailment that sp spilled beer into the river. No. Did, Did you see that one? one? I didn't yeah. see that one. Real? Yeah. That, was here? it, mm -hmm. hey, hey, kind of wait like a minute. Was it Bud Light? Uh, I lost. Was it Bud Light? 
He said Coors. It was Coors and something else. It, I think it was like Montana or something like that. See, it should have been Bud Light. I thought we were going to talk about it. Should be Bud Light. I was prepared. Huh. No, that's not what I was going to talk about. Here's what I was going to talk about. <laughs> so I've been telling people if you're watching equipment should start coming down, although it's not. It's not coming down anywhere near where I thought it should. There's a lot of things not coming down. Real, do you, does anybody realize that real estate prices on the East Coast are still going up? How bizarre is that? The market's not selling. Properties are sitting longer than ever, and yet the prices keep going up. We, we see prices either continuing to climb or not coming down the way we thought they should. That's stagflation. That's what, if you've heard that term and we've talked about it, we haven't experienced it since the late 70s under Carter, but that's what stagflation is. People keep losing their jobs, lots and lots of layoffs, and yet prices won't come down. It doesn't make sense, but that's what we're seeing. At some point they will. When they do, it's going to be a good time to go pick up equipment, use trucks, use trailers, buy an extra trailer, buy a trailer that allows you to haul different freight. There's going to be bargains, buy a spare truck. But I can't believe we're even talking about this. So this guy did exactly that. He was a small trucking company owner and he was going to an auction to buy some equipment and he flew there. And he took $39,500 of cash with him. They confiscated it. It took him over two years to get it back. So if you're going to travel, don't travel with a bunch of cash. Just don't do it. There are other ways, just arrange to be able to get that cash when you get to the other end. Carry a traveler's check that you can just walk into any bank and cash it and get cash. There are other ways of handling this, but do not travel today with a whole bunch of cash. I wouldn't even do it in a vehicle. I'd be very, very careful about carrying around large amounts of cash. Our Gestapo seems to think that they can just confiscate it with no apparent reason why. Would you carry a couple thousand dollars on an airplane? Yes, a couple thousand Probably anything under 10 would worry too much. Okay. Although if I didn't have to, I wouldn't. A couple thousand, I think we should all be walking around with a couple thousand. If you're traveling and you don't have access to a couple thousand in cash, you're making a mistake. But I wouldn't go beyond that. I, two years to get this back. That's just so wrong. This is a case of... This is a case of you are guilty until you can prove innocence. That's totally backwards. Our system yeah. is not supposed to be this way. They should not be able to take $40,000 cash away from you and then make you prove that you're innocent to get it back. That's just so wrong. But that's what we have to deal with. So just be careful with that one. All right, let's get to some more calls. Let's go to Texas. Paul, welcome to the program. Oh, good day, good day, good day, good day, good day, good day. Howdy. <laughs> yeah, they they said they said that money it had a scent of marijuana, is what I heard. That was why they took it. Well, from yeah. what I understand, about eighty percent of the paper money has traces of cocaine in it. So what? Yeah, 
some of it probably went through the strip joint on a research project. You think? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just can't yeah. believe we're, we're at that point in this country where we have to worry about them just seizing our cash, even though we've done nothing wrong. This guy was never, ever charged yeah. with any kind of a crime because he didn't commit a crime. But he still had to waste all of his time yep. and money to get his own cash back. Yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, it is. I was. You said about four dollars a gallon for diesel fuel. Well, I looked at my discount price. The only place in the country where I'm paying in the four dollar a gallon is Pennsylvania, but I don't go there except to go to Pittsburgh Power, obviously. So, but well, down here in Texas, I'm at the three twenty. You know what kind of screwed up my perception of all this? I just did a trip from Oregon. So I drove all the way through Oregon because I'm up at the top of it, at the very top, down to Southern California. And on that trip, you will not find cheap fuel prices You're still in the five plus range. Yeah. But it's all going uh, back up. There doesn't yeah. seem to be any doubt if OPEC yeah. says they're going to cut production, prices are going up and it's summer. So you were talking about the fly swatter mud flats? Yes. So if they stay that much by mud flats where the air flows through them, would they save more money if they took those flow through mud flats off altogether? Yes. And had no mud flats? Yes. That's a good point. And as long as you're under a trailer, you don't have to have mud flaps on the tractor. My, my trailer doesn't have any mud flaps on it. Right. Yeah, it's that it's, low to the ground. It doesn't need them. You but, know, it's really common. At, yeah. I talked about this the other day because of the the short package doubles and that that shallow pinhole hook. That um, well, actually, it's a deep pinhole hook for that trailer. That almost everybody at FedEx with Virtually everybody with a tandem axle, you have to take the mud flaps off. You can't pull those trailers with them on. I could do it with single okay. axles, but yeah. virtually everybody else has to take them off. Yep. So I went to the Louisville truck show and I heard about that that zinc block and I went over and talked to the guy and asked how much they were and everything and he gave me his story and everything and I, I thought, I need to go and talk to Leroy. So I went up and talked to Leroy. And <laughs> I was like, okay, we're not going back to that booth. So, yeah, so he saved me money. So just by listening, you can save money. There you go. Yeah. So I spent more, even though my truck is aerodynamically ugly, I actually spent more time at Mid-America, looking at aerodynamic stuff and talking to people about aerodynamics. And I had a, a good talk with Steve Crone the other night. But yeah. And I didn't even go look at the show trucks because when I came out on Saturday afternoon, it was too damn cold and windy. And it's like, I'm, I'm headed west. So I left. So All right. I learned quite a bit of, about and aerodynamics so if i ever build another one it's probably going to be looking way different oh there you go this one
That'll be interesting. So, yeah. So, right. I'll carry on. All right. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Wisconsin. Brad, welcome to the program. Good afternoon, gentlemen. I say I got a question for Bruce. Where does one find a fuel pressure gauge at Liquidville to fit in a Peterbilt dash? Well, I don't know if there is such a thing. Pete, what's the diameter of our liquid fuel pressure gauge? The ones we have are, which is 300 pounds and 600 pounds. We have two options. The diameter is two inch and five eighths. If it was a the small two and an eighth inch gauge, because of the way, especially if you're gonna put this on a Cummins, where the fuel pressure is constantly changing, it would be impossible to read. Now, if you're putting this on a cat, you know, an old E model that made 40 or 60 pounds, then a hundred pound gauge is fine. And I think Packard makes those gauges to liquid fuel at small gauges, but it's for small pressure or lower pressure. Um, and, and you don't have as many numbers, so it's easier to read. What engine are you um, planning on putting this on? A 5EK cat. I have one in right now, and it's a OEM Packard one, but I don't think it's working because it's just jumping around like crazy. It reads about 80 pounds, though, of fuel pressure. I think that's a little high for a 5EK. I believe they were a lot lower pressure on a 5EK, a 40-pin versus, say, a 70-pin or even the Acer, which are, I think, closer to 100 PSI. Yeah, I mean, I'm on my third gauge so far in under a year, and before the, the first one that I had lasted four or five years for sure. And yeah, I would read 80 pounds going down the road. Okay. The older ones were a little lower, but either way, the gauge should last longer than that. Yeah. This one only made it three months. You might want to play, make a couple, you might want to put a couple pigtails in your line, you know, loop the line around like a two inch pipe and uh, wire tie it and, and that'll to help take the shock out of the fluid. Yeah, we could do that with this arrow clip line. Yeah. So on a side note, whatever happened to the OPS and using the UPS mailers? So we... There is a date that OPS put on them when they expire. So we switched to FedEx to avoid some confusion, and ours don't have an expiration date on them. Okay. I've noticed that on uh, the sample report that you fill out, there's an expiration date on them. I'm assuming that's what you're referring to? Yes. Okay. And that was OPS doing that, not us. Prior to us owning it, they're the ones that put yep. the, the date and expiration on it. We do a lot of shipping with FedEx, and we get better rates through FedEx. 
and I've just had better success with them as well. All right. Well, thank you, guys, gentlemen. You're welcome. Thanks You're for welcome. the call. Let's head off to Wisconsin this time. Steve, welcome to the program. Hey, y'all. How are you guys doing today? Good. What's on your mind? Fantastic. Hey, uh, yeah, I just wanted to get your guys' take, if possible, on two used trucks I'm looking at and what would be preferable for the operation I'm looking at. So it'd be, uh, I kind of talked to you about this a couple weeks ago, Kevin, where it'd be kind of a hybrid line haul P&D where it's, you know, I'm driving, let's say, 60 miles out one way loaded, then I drive 50 miles another direction, pick up, another 40 miles pick up and you know, something right this, close to the shop on the way in. I recommended to you not to get a day cab, right? Correct. Okay. All right. Where are we now? So I'm, I'm looking at two cast. Yeah. Two Cascadia's. I think one's a 15, one's a 16. Um, one's got a DD 15 with two, four, seven rears. And the other is a DD13 with two eight five rears. And just kind of looking at what, I guess, if any, what would be the pros and cons to so, each of those. So they're both spec'd well for what they are. Those, those are both good gear ratios for that engine. So I'm glad to see that they are spec'd differently. I would like to see a lot more results out of the DD13. I... I'm just a believer that we don't need 15-liter engines, that we can tune a 13-liter really nice. You look at engines historically like the Series 60, which for some reason nobody ever thinks of as a small engine, but it's a 12.7. We talk about it. It's, it's not even a 13-liter engine. Yep. It's a 12.7. The Cat C12 was an awesome engine. The 11-liter Detroit, I thought, was an awesome engine. So I, I think there's there's potential out of the 13, but there just aren't enough of them. And we don't have anybody really working on maximizing fuel economy. So buying a 13 is a little bit of a risk. We just don't know as much about them. We don't know how to spec them. We don't know what some of the issues might be because we just don't have enough miles. So I, if it were me, I'd be buying the 13. I would be the one taking the chance on it to try to figure it out and prove it. But only do that if you're a risk taker, because we just don't have as much information on them. Um, the 15 with this gear ratio is pretty well proven. Okay. I mean, that's a solid setup. You won't be disappointed with it. Okay. Sounds good. That's pretty much all I had, but I just kind of, I guess I'll throw this out there. I just finished my IFTA this morning for my um, running that same route with a day cab DD13 355 gears and 7.88 was my MPG's running catalyst. So good, good, and and, and hopefully I can get that. Uh, yeah, you know, with those guys. That's kind of my point. I would I would be trying to build a nine or ten mile per gallon truck with that DD13, and I think it's entirely possible. We just don't know enough about it yet. If you already have one, though, I, okay. for me, I'd be looking at the 13 harder than I would the 15 when I could find them. Okay. Sounds good. All right. I'll do that. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Minnesota. Jackie, welcome. 
Jackie, are you there? Yep, I'm here. Oh, there you are. Go ahead. It's your turn. Can you hear me? We can. I can hear you, Jackie. Okay. Yeah, that was weird because it was like the beep and then, but there was nothing. There was complete silence. I thought I had got hung up on, but no. Nope, you're good. Okay. Hi. Anyway, so real quick, you're talking about that guy with the money. I was kind of laughing with the guy that I, when I went to go buy that truck, cause it was $40,000. I'm like, you know, what do I come with a big cat suitcase full of cash or, or, you know what, you know, just kind of yeah. joking. Cause yeah, I, I don't think traveling with that much money is a good idea. It was $10 to get a cashier's check from the bank. Right. So when you can plan for something like that, you know why you need the cash. Don't carry it. Don't even drive with it. Really not long distances anyway. You just don't want to take that risk if they're getting that crazy about confiscating stuff. But on the other hand, I do think you should have cash available. Uh, you know, even ten or twenty or thirty thousand dollars, someplace that you can get your hands on it that you control. But I would be careful about traveling with it. Yeah, I mean, even like in the truck, I keep cash in there, but I have a safe and everything yeah. that's in there, and it's just enough for like fuel, you know, because I'm out in Wyoming and Montana and I, stuff like that. And sometimes it's, uh, you know, you I, get a storm and the power gets knocked out, and they don't have credit card machines. Exactly. You need fuel, cash at, talk. At least <laughs> enough cash to get you home. So figure out your farthest point. Mm -hmm. How much money do you need for food and fuel to get home? You should at least have that much with you. Yep. And the other beer that was spilled out there was Blue Moon. I, I would only remember that because I actually drank that beer before I went grain free. So yeah. ah, okay. Blue Moon. Got it. That's Got kind it. of sad. Yeah. Like I said, okay. with all and with the all the controversy, the guy asked it, about the UPS. It, it should have been Bud Light. By the way, uh, there's a video on Twitter. If you want to see a pretty interesting video that'll kind of tell you where we are in this country right now, um, look up the video on Twitter by Kid Rock. Okay. And while you're on that. Twitter, that. make sure you rocks. follow me too. Oh yeah, I followed <laughs> way, way back when when you never used it, and I know. all of a sudden one day, all of a sudden, I hey, wow, started using it. From Kevin. What's I know. going on here? Yeah. <laughs> now you can't shut me up. So, I, I it, thought maybe you were gonna. T it, it's a very interesting video. I thought you were gonna tell gonna me that say. there was a. Uh... Okay. Yeah. I can just what imagine just from, you know, the past few years with him. So cool. Well, you know but, what the uh, Bud Light I thought you were going to say might have been a viral was, right? video of some. Uh... No, have I don't. You, oh, you haven't seen that? Okay. So uh, yesterday it was sheltered all life. over social media. It was everywhere. So Dylan Mulvaney is one of these trans, trans, I don't know what we're, he's a, he now yeah. is living as a woman, but he's a man and he's, got a huge social media following and Bud Light actually made him a commemorative can with his picture on it. And people went nuts. Him, her. Okay. I don't know how now it makes more to, sense yeah, why you so, say it should have been the train derailment of Bud Light. Got yeah, it. Yeah. Now I'm with, yeah, no, I, I lead a sheltered life. I don't watch the news cause it makes me mad. So like the only yeah, thing I really so, watch is weather. That's cause it's all I'm really interested in. <laughs> so, so Kid Rock made a video about it and it's, it's pretty shocking. Yeah, I'll definitely check that out. I All thought right. you were going to say there was a like, video of some lady crazy at the DMV yesterday because that was me. <laughs> no, I'm trying to get my title transferred on this truck. Yeah, oh, yeah. my God. Anyway. I didn't see that one. Bruce, did well, you say? Kevin, are you, UPS. 
Go mailers. Ahead, Are you saying that Bud Light put a guy that did a sex change picture on a can? Yeah. Yeah, yep. commemorative can. They produced a commemorative can with his picture on it. His, her, I don't know. Her, I guess. He, she. He, yeah. The he, she. Yeah. Yeah, they actually did, and people went nuts. I don't get these companies. Just stay out of it. Why get involved right. in any of this at all? Just stay out of it. But the uh, the, the, Kid Rock, the Kid Rock video is pretty, pretty shocking. Yeah. Oh, they alienated yeah. a yeah, they lot of people of with this one. Yeah. A lot of people are upset yeah, about I this bet. one. And look, here's the thing, right, anybody, whether, anyway, whether then, you agree hey, with this whole issue, right, yeah, <laughs> let me make one more comment on it. Whether you agree with it or not, I could care less that this guy lives as a woman. Really, that that is not an issue right. for me. Do it all day exactly. long. That's your choice. You're an adult. Children, that's another matter. I'm not going to get into that. But adults, hell, I don't care. Wear whatever you want. Sleep with yeah. whoever you want. Do but, what you want. But why... Why, what did this person do that we would single them out and create a special beer can for them? That, that's what I'm wondering. What was the accomplishment? Anybody could do right, it. Yeah, they used to that be like nothing, for somebody super so, special. That, that did something above and beyond. Anybody can go get their pee-pee right. whacked off. I'm sorry, it's just not anything special. If you want to do it, go do it. But it's nothing special. It doesn't make you special. You're just another human being like the rest of us. All right, go ahead, Jackie. Yeah, that's the weird part. I know. Okay, anyway, so the guy asked about the UPS mailers, but he didn't ask the important question. Are they still usable <laughs> or not? The that actual UPS question. mailing label. You know, let me check with Eric real quick. Hold on one second. <laughs> well, well, we'll sing and dance. Well, while I'll, we're I'll, waiting, I'll, I'll I actually do, had a real reason to call. I'll, I'll do the dance. Who's going to sing? I had sing? a real reason to call. Oh, okay. I mean, don't you, do anything. Don't okay, be singing. Go, go ahead. No right. singing. Don't drive away the customers because I want to bring more customers to Pittsburgh Power with this next Okay, video. go ahead. Hey, Jack, so it, we it, talked last week about the crankshaft. Oh. They are still good. Okay, are, great. Yeah, Thank the you, UPS please. labels are still good for the mailing labels. Okay. I was scared. I didn't know. And I thought in the new truck, when I sent off a oil sample, I just used the FedEx one. And I figured I would ask this week. So, okay, good. And the expiration date on the other ones doesn't seem to mean anything. Because mine said, like, 2022 or something. When I scanned mm -hmm. it, it still scanned in just fine and worked. Okay. So, I'm not sure even if the, the expiration dates on the actual sample are bad. I think they're fine too. I just want to make sure that the mailer was going to be okay. So it didn't, you know, go somewhere weird. Although FedEx something mailed it off and then brought it back. So that, that we're doing. So the return. So if you would buy more from us, say down the road, you need more and you buy them. It's going to have your address as a return label. That way, if there's an issue with it and gets returned back to you, you know where it came from. The problem before was it was coming back to us and we had no idea who they were. Right. Because a lot of times the oil spill and you couldn't read anything. So at least we'll, we'll, the new labels that we are using FedEx, it will have your home address as a return. That way, if it does get bounced back for some reason, you know that you're not getting your sample because it got returned. Yeah, you know what I would do with that, actually? I would just put 
I've got those things you stick on envelopes or whatever when you mail with your name and address already filled out. I would actually put that on the UPS one that I sent off just so it had a, a right address for return okay. address. And then mm-hmm. I never had anything go wrong. I had like one go missing, but that was it, you know, years ago. So good. All right. Anyway, now my real reason for calling is last week we talked hey, Jackie, about the shaft damper. Hmm? Hey, Jackie, before I want to interrupt you, one of my guys said that the expiration dates do matter. They will not process okay. it. Well, so far they have been for me, so I'm going to keep knocking on wood, and it's going to keep working fine because I still have a couple of ones yet left. Okay. If they don't, then I can call and get new ones, right? So yes. So they're already paid for? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, as far as so far right now, they've been working, so we'll find out once this one actually makes it to uh, FedEx. It's delayed, so... All right, now okay. on to the real reason for your call. Yes. Okay. So last week we talked about the crankshaft damper and how Bruce said about all these things that it would protect your engine from breaking and how I had you know, proof positive that that actually does work. So here's another one. Bruce, what's the big problem with the Detroit manifold? What, what section on that always breaks? It's the center section, right? On the stock Detroit manifold, it's the center section. On our ported and ceramic coated manifold, we don't seem to have that issue. Yeah, exactly. And this is just, you know, I bought the stuff just to do upgrades or whatever. And I told my shop guys, I said, when you pull this stuff off, just save the parts so I have them just in case you ever need them somewhere down the line. There's not a turbo available. I can just, you know, throw this old wastegate and piece of crap back on. Manifold, whatever. Oh, no, the manifold's got the center section cracked. Oh, wow, imagine that. My other truck, always, I, I went through, it was either three manifolds and two gaskets, or it was two manifolds and three gaskets, I don't remember which, but either way, five different times that I had to have my exhaust manifold looked at in like six years of the first six years that I had the truck. Then you guys were talking about your manifold, and I decided in 2009 to put one of those on along with the turbo. That manifold that I bought in 2009 is still on that truck. And this is 2023. I have not had to put a gasket and I have not had to put a manifold on my truck. The gasket, the manifold and the turbo have all been sitting on that engine since 2009 with the exception of taking the thing off to look at it. And, and it's a very high performance engine too. So this goes to show when you make the part right the first time, what can happen? Right, because I'm not afraid to roll coal. I mean, like I said, the front of my trailer is literally fuel washed because of all the black smoke. And, yeah, I mean, the last time I replaced the thermocouple, we took it out, and it was just so black, and it was terrible. I was like, oh, my God, that poor thing. So, yeah, so, yeah, so my guy's going to put the new manifold on, and he pulls off the old one. He's like, oh, well, this manifold was cracked anyway, so it's a good thing that you bought a new one. I go, well, all I wanted was just to get the upgrade manifold because I know how crappy the Detroit ones are and there we go once again listen to Pittsburgh Power they know what they're talking about they're not just trying to sell you something I went through I don't know how many, you know five different times how much money was that instead of just buying the right manifold the first time yeah go buy right and cry once right that's right or the other thing is the bitterness of poor quality remains long after the sweetness of a low price is forgotten. That's for sure. 
That's all. Sorry, I didn't mean to like you know spur controversy there with the whole Bud Light thing. But at least now I know why you kept saying that it should have been the Bud Light that derailed. <laughs> there, there you go. <laughs> Instead of fours or whatever it was. Yeah. Yep. Right. There you go. Thanks for the call. Let's go uh, to Indiana. Brandy, welcome to the program. Hello. What's on your mind Hello? today? I think it was last Tuesday, or it was one of the news feeds I heard. But Gavin Newsom, basically, I think this is why maybe that electric uh, half of all trucks have to be electric. Gavin Newsom uh, made a, well, I guess it's a law in California. It was passed that there's a cap now on the oil industry that they can't make prop, they can't make higher profits than that the California government will allow. And I just thought that. And then I don't know that we're not trading in the petrodollar anymore. Other countries are now able to use the Chinese yuan. And what else was there? And then uh, there's a video or audio of uh, Kenya basically telling the citizens to ditch the dollar. So, yeah. There's something else. Oh, yeah, your your carnivore snacks are coming uh, on Thursday. Okay, thank you. I will check You're those welcome. out. And yeah, there's all kinds yeah. of things going on with oil and this whole push towards clean. And California seems to be leading the charge. Nancy Pelosi also was recorded as uh, with Donald Trump saying that you have to prove your innocence. Correct. Uh, you know, which is what you were saying about you're guilty and you have to prove your innocence. Yeah. That's which is not how our country works. Obviously I'm nervous. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, I know that. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. The fact that the, the, okay. the, the, that's all the person I had. who held the third lawmaker spot in our country can't figure out how our justice system actually works is kind of scary. May have been a slip but it's a very telling slip on how she really thinks. Let's go to Georgia. Brett, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin, how you doing? Good. What's on your mind today? So I used to listen to you. I got off the road in 13, owner-operator, and I didn't know better, so I wound up with the Mercedes 4000 when I should have had a Detroit but I'm going to be getting back on the road. And so I'm just calling for some advice for specking. I plan on doing open deck, but I also want to be doing, oh man, if I, if I need to. And I've been listening a little bit. It seems like uh, the newer Volvo's 1819 with the turbo compounding might be the way to go, but I just don't know what's, what's available, you know, gear ratios, transmissions, things like that. So I'm just looking for some, I want to do it right this time. So the, the first place we always start is budget. How much are you looking to spend? Yeah, I mean, uh, I've been looking at them. It looks like maybe they're around 70, 80,000 right now. You know, my other choice would be to go for something non-ELD, you know, an old school 12-7, but it seems like there's a huge difference in the fuel economy. Uh, you know, with the newer trucks. 
had no idea they were up in the eights and nine. Yeah, they can be, but we can get eight and nine out of a series sixty. I mean, I'm not too concerned about matching eight or nine. We can do that with older technology. We're actually seeing eleven and twelve out of some of these well specced the two the two trucks that are pushing those kind of numbers volvo with the volvo engine or a freightliner with a dd series engine i mean we've broken 10 with both of those platforms now so but you, you've also got to spend a lot of money to get that so think about it. if you're going to spend eighty thousand dollars for a, a nine or ten mile per gallon truck or we could go spend 20 on a you know late 90s early 2000 those engines that we know really well you've got a lot of room to make up there i mean you're gonna have to save an awful lot of fuel on that new truck it's still gonna take you a while to break even in a very very volatile market that we don't understand but we know we're we're heading down and it's going to be rough I would be leaning towards the cheap truck, or I would wait. Okay. You know, it, it, um, it's, it's, really so the older it, truck, it, it's really hard to buy a $20,000 truck and go wrong. If I buy it right, and I build it right, and, and put it on the road, six months from now, I can probably sell it for $20,000 again. I, there's just not a whole lot of risk in that. But if I buy an $80,000 truck that is overpriced right now, I will tell you, all of those trucks are overpriced. Six months from now, I might only be able to sell it for 50. Sure. I could lose more money on the $80,000 truck than I'm even going to spend on the older truck. So if I went the older route, what what would be your recommendation as far as if I can find a well-spec truck, what does that look like? If you can go back to what we were saying about those trucks in 2013, nothing's changed. We, we knew those trucks really well way back then. We still know them well now. For the most part, you're, you're looking at three engines that I really like from the late 90s, early 2000s. You could go with the 12.7. You can go with the Cummins. Somebody help me out here. Which Cummins? Not the N14. Yeah, the N14. No. Just yes, yes. Be quiet, Leroy. Just you're just you're too young to understand that engine. So just be quiet. N14, rock solid, can't beat them. Or the the cats. You know the model of cats we like from those years. We know them, nothing's really changed. You can spec any of those engines with 264s, run them in direct with an overdrive. They run fantastic, they get good fuel mileage, we know how to fix them, they're not expensive. There's a lot of reasons to have one of those trucks in, in a volatile environment like we're in now. And so we'd be talking about an electronic engine it is electronic, yeah, late late 90s, early 2000s. There's just not a lot of emissions on them. No EGR, none of that stuff. Right, right, okay. And, and those things, um, might be able to get up six or seven with those? Oh, shoot, we can get nine. We were getting nine out of those trucks back in 2006. 
2007, I guess. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, yeah. We, eight, eight is not that much of a struggle, honestly. Nine, you've got to work for it. But we have, Bruce, how many, of, how many trucks like I just described do you know that get nine miles to the gallon? Oh, I'd say we got a lot in the eight. The nines are a little bit tough to crack. A little bit tougher. Eight is, we can do eight all day long. Yeah. Nine is possible. Seven and eight. Steve Crone is breaking 10 with, with a truck like that. So it, it's possible, but you've got to work hard how, how, to get there. What, what's, the age, what's the age of this caller? How old are you? 56. 56. Do you plan to truck for another 10 or 20 years? Yeah, probably. Uh, I think that, I mean, the kids are going to be out of high school soon, and I think I'm going to be doing it partly, I think mainly for recreation, not recreation, but, you know, I just want to get out there and, um, you know, it's for the lifestyle mainly. Where are you going to and run from where to where? All of, I plan on running all, you know, the the upper two-thirds of North America. I don't plan on going to Mexico. Um, but I like like open deck freight. I like, uh, you know, oversized. I like, some, you know, I, I like to change it up, you know. So, I mean, that's, yeah, that's what I, that's what I plan on doing. Um, so, I don't know, these... Uh, to get these this mileage, is it is it tunes or turbos or what kind of uh, all of what, what, uh, all tires, of all tires, of the gear above. ratios, mufflers, all of the above, aerodynamics. Okay. We we have to improve everything on the truck that affects fuel economy to get those kind of numbers. Right, right. I was, you know, I actually. All right, so I'm a cab over fan, but you know, I would like to find a. A P three seventy two, but and not necessarily stuck to that. But uh, I think in my in my ideal world, I would be in a P three seventy two. I know so, you they had the twelve seven. Yeah, but so let's talk about that a little yeah. bit. So when you are looking at a truck this old. You're going to be somewhat limited and finding the specs we just talked about, 264s, that kind of stuff, really difficult anyway. Trucks weren't specced like that. We modified almost all the trucks to be like that. Now, when you get down to a very narrow cab over, not a lot of those were sold, I can almost guarantee you the odds of finding that model cab over with the right drivetrain next to impossible. But... You can modify it, but that, that right. is still an option. Right. Right. Yeah, I could put a cutoff on there and change the rear ends. Right. And, uh, a lot of times you just swap out gear sets. You don't uh, even need to get all that gear? drastic. Just swap sure. out gears. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah, I just, well, I appreciate the, the help. Uh, it's just everything is so different now compared to, you know, when I got off the road. So thank you for your time. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's head off to Iowa this time. Tim, welcome to the program. Oh, good morning. 
afternoon, depending on exactly where you guys are at. But I had my truck into Pittsburgh Power a few weeks ago and uh, had the damper changed, had it tuned. We had a DEF issue when we did the first pull. And you guys did a really good job. The truck made me smile for <laughs> just under a week. And the following Tuesday, I was coming out of New Jersey, going back up to Minnesota, and it developed an insane amount of blow-by. It blew the dipstick out of the dipstick tube and everything. I made it back to the house, which is only about another 30, 40 miles. Backed out of it so that everything cleared up. And uh, the truck is now in Freightliner. And compression test and five of the six cylinders failed um what's your it does have one million two hundred and thirty eight thousand miles on it now and i know you guys were talking about the freightliner one boxes before that's the original one box yeah i've been hearing but, some guys going pretty far to one boxes but we also see them 500,000, 600,000 miles right. going on as well. So you yep. did really good as far as the one box goes. That You were lucky. Um, you know, I'm kind of hoping that it's the top, something with the top side of my engine and not like a lot of people are saying, oh, it's the mileage and the rings are probably wore out. Maybe you have a hole in a piston, you know, blah, blah, blah. While it sits at the house, I would, when I would get home, because when it broke down, I, the next day I hopped on a plane, went up to Minnesota, and got into a different truck to keep going. That's one of the best things about the company that I'm leased to, is how flexible they are with their leasing program. Um, and I, whenever, when I would get home, you know, I have the quick drain on the oil pan, so I would drain coolant out of the oil from it just sitting there. I would drain about a quart to two quarts of coolant out of the oil from it just sitting. Do you guys think that's more topside than it would be something else? So getting coolant in the oil, it could come from a cylinder head, cracked port, intake exhaust side, injector tubes, Liner O-rings can happen there. An oil cooler, uh, normally an oil cooler would put um, oil in the cooling system. EGR cooler could do it as well. Um, okay. Generally, what we do in a case like that is drop the pan, pressurize the rad, the radiator, and underneath it, look to see where it's coming from. You know, if it's coming from yeah. the block the liner, it's the O-rings. If it's coming between the uh, piston and liner, then that could be intake or exhaust port cracked. And what we do then is start pulling off the manifolds and taking a peek. If we don't see anything there, pull the injectors out. Look like it's coming from an in <laughs> injector tube, and kind of figure out where it's coming from without completely tearing it apart. So once it's tore apart and you get yeah. your head off, there's no more diagnostics that can be done. Okay something else to talk to Freightliner about with it then. Because right now, today, what they're doing is they're pulling the injectors and 
they're going to stick a, a scope down mm-hmm. to look at the liners and see if they can see anything that way. Yeah, um, if you sport a liner, it'll definitely show up to bore scope. Yeah. And if you sport a liner, sometimes they get hot enough that they damage the ring at the bottom of the liner, which would then let some coolant pass. Gotcha. Okay. And, uh, yeah, hearing, hearing Kevin the other day was catching up on podcast Sunday and yesterday, uh, talking about the electric trucks. And I just had an idea and I talked to one of my buddies about it. He mentioned that Kevin, you were, you were working with a company, something along the lines of this, but with these electric trucks and everyone wanting to go to electric and as the issue is range, you have to push air out of the front of a truck, no matter what you do. Wouldn't it be feasible to put some kind of ducting to collect that some of that air and force it into kind of like a a, a jet turbine type of thing with a generator in it? Possibly. And you would use what are called NACA ducts, which are the invert of a air tab, by the way. So if you actually took an air tab and you sunk an air tab into, if you flipped an air tab over and then sunk it into the surface, that would become an aqueduct. And an aqueduct is designed to pull air in without creating a lot of drag. So we could do it. The problem becomes now when you blow that air over a turbine, you are creating drag. And in order to produce power, you have to produce more drag. So there's not enough to gain by doing this to offset the cost and complication of the vehicle and the fact that that's not free energy. If we can sit somewhere gotcha. apart, well, I mean, they're, and they're making these, wind, they're making them more and more complicated anyway, anyway. <laughs> yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, if we can collect wind while we're sitting still, that's technically kind of free energy. But we're well, creating yeah, this if, wind if, and we have to burn energy to create it. So we're, we're really not gaining anything here. We're not right. gaining enough. Well, the only, the only thing I was thinking about with it is, you know, because right now the electric trucks basically you know in the city short trips here and there you know that that might work but on an otr platform it would fail currently yeah, well, and i you're, you are if, correct if, we don't if, have the range but i can promise if, you that air generators are not going to get us that range well i was just thinking maybe it would help and I just thought maybe why in my mind, I was just thinking, why aren't they trying to do something like this? And you pretty much just answered that question for me, but enough efficiency there. One of the things I don't think people really grasp all that well is the amount of current it takes to fully charge batteries of this size. It is crazy amounts of current. Here's an analogy. Trying to fill up one of these batteries with a wind generator is kind of like turning your faucet on drip and hoping to fill up a swimming pool. Uh, that, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's what we're trying to do. And you would say, yeah, well, it will help. 
Well, yeah, we could claim it would help, but it's not worth all of this cost and expense to design a vehicle that has these little air generators all over that are only helping that much. It's just not enough. Okay. Because, you know, another, another aspect of that would have been as far as the outlet of that type of thing is, you know, direct it underneath the truck to speed up the air under, underneath the truck. But, yeah, I, I understand. Yeah, there's another one. Why don't we improve the aerodynamics underneath the truck? And, again, there is a yeah. gain there. Look at any racing, and and they, they do that. Steve Crone has smoothed out the entire bottom of his trailer. He covered all the ribs. He's worked on covering the tractor. There's some challenges there, though. Servicing a truck. Um, I, I'm going to cut you loose. You're getting a really loud okay. line, line there. So um, I'm having a hard time hearing myself. Um, all of these things could work. They, if we can affect physics in a way, aerodynamics, rolling resistance, but there has to be enough of a gain to make it worth the effort we put into it. And like I said, we could potentially create more drag with these types of generators than we're actually charging. It could end up being a net negative. All right, that was, I just looked up, that's the last call, we're right there at the two hour mark. Anybody have anything they wanna talk about? Yeah, one thing, yeah, I want to bring up. So after the show, we got back, Jordan, got a lot of emails requesting that we do a couple uh, pay options. So we're now doing shop pay on the website, which then gives you the ability to break the payments down for payments. Got it. Okay. Well, that's nice. You know, with the economy, it might be a little easier for some of these guys to, to buy some of the stuff with yeah. kind of a buy now, pay later sort of. Yeah. yeah. No, a that, lot of places off. That could just, help. You know. Yeah. So what happens? What happens if a guy runs up a five thousand dollar bill and he signs up for that and he doesn't pay? What happens? We get our money. That's not our problem. That's um, yeah. Then it's between him and the lender or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you're not okay. the one issuing yep. the credit. Yeah. Okay. Back back to the electric. Uh, you know, several months ago on. Electrical engineer said that uh, you live in a city and three in a row houses and three people are charging their electric cars. You won't have enough electricity to run your air conditioning in your house. And so when was the last time we built power plants? I mean, where are we going to get this electric? I don't have anything, any problem against electric vehicles, but where are you going to get the electricity? That's the issue right there, Bruce. And we're not building it. That that's that's going to be one of the We're biggest. Building, right? We have challenges around all of this electric, but it we can overcome all of them. We know we can, but not if the government doesn't allow us. And with all these restrictions on right. power plants, we're not going to produce enough power. And here's the other thing people have to think of. If you are in a city and that's where these cars are being bought first, very few people out in the country buy electric cars. Sure. This is a city thing. Um, everything in a free market is priced on supply and demand. The more demand there is for all of that power, the more expensive everybody's power is going to become. Yeah, Bentley. 
That's right. (laughs) Yep, I agree. I, you know, I've said it so many times. I think electric has a huge future if we do it right. And unfortunately, we're doing it wrong. We're going to screw it up. We're going to set this technology back a couple of decades because we're all of this government money that's paying for it. Let the free market figure it out. It will take a little bit longer, but we will end up with far better products. You know, Bruce, we're, did, we were talking at did, the truck. What, we were I, talking at the truck show. Go ahead. Yeah, I can't remember which show I talked about this on. Did I, I think I talked about last Friday. Did we talk about the price of the Nikola truck? No. 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 So when Nikola first came out with the concept, this is Nikola's hydrogen electric, not their battery electric. They are building both. Their hydrogen electric truck, when it came out, I remember specifically, uh, because I tore it all apart, the price was $375,000, and they were going to roll out a one-payment program where you didn't buy this thing, you leased it, and it included all the maintenance and your electricity. And I forget what the price was going to be. Didn't make much sense, but that was the number that I remember seeing from back then. I just read an article, and I'm trying to verify this. I'm trying to go back and do some digging because if this is true, I can't believe this isn't being talked about. They claimed in this article that if there were no government incentives or tax breaks, and somebody just ordered a hundred of these. I forget forget who it was. Somebody ordered a hundred of these trucks. The article claimed that without tax incentives, these trucks were $750,000 a piece. (laughs) Makes sense. I can't even believe that number's been published and nobody's talking about it. And I'm trying to verify it. Like, what are the incentives then? California, I know they give $40,000. That's just in the state. I don't know what the federal government's giving, but nobody, nobody in their right mind would order 100 semi-trucks that cost $750,000 a piece. So somebody got a big break on this and that's all of our money paying for it. Okay. And is it true that some of these charging sites for cars are running off of a diesel generator? I've heard Have that. Have you seen that? I, I've heard it. I, I never you bothered see what to it costs? verify that. It comes down to like, it comes down to the amount of diesel fuel it uses. That car is getting like 5.36 mile per gallon. That's the that's the other thing that nobody's talking about. We can't get numbers on anything. You know, we don't know what these vehicles really cost. We don't know what the electricity or the power is going to cost us. That's all over the board. Um, it, it, it's it, again, we're just going to screw up what could be a good technology if we took our time and did it right. When the government pushes it like this, it's going to be a disaster. Donald Trump had gasoline at two dollars, two twenty a gallon. Diesel fuel at two twenty a gallon. All cars today get twenty plus mile per gallon. I mean, that's, what are we trying to do? Well, that's exactly why they have to keep gas prices so high. 
we could have a dollar a gallon fuel in this country. We could do that if we just said, look, we're going to pump as much oil as we can pump and we're keeping it here at home. We would have a dollar a gallon fuel. The numbers are there. It's not that hard to figure out. But if they do that, electric cars will never sell. There's a reason they're going to keep fuel prices high. That's not an accident. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we uh, we have another call, so we'll grab it since we're here and we're talking. Charlie, welcome. Yeah. Hello. Hey, Bruce. This is Charlie that can't retire. Yeah. Okay, Charlie. Hey, can I get? And if I promise not to do any remote tunes or step on anybody's toes, can I buy a tuning thing so I can see what's wrong with my truck like now? Sure. Okay. All right. Do I need to call Leroy or Bruce or Pete or who? Call Leroy. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah, I got an engine cook coming back from the West Coast again. and Well, not again. It's the first one, but I don't know what it is. It just says service tool. And I think it'd be cheaper for me to buy a computer and let you guys look at it than we're trying to get in a shop. Absolutely. Okay. There's no, no reason why you can't do a remote tunes with it. Well, I don't want to step on anybody's toes up home there, but I'm, I'm all over the road. So, I mean, kind of, you know. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I went from New Jersey to New York and from New York, the same dock to, uh, Fresno and from Fresno uploaded to San Leandro for up Kevin's dam. I brought insulators up for your dam up there, Kevin. Well, good. Keep that thing working. That's where we get our power from. See? Well, I figured I'd tell you so you could say thank you, Charlie. But anyway. <laughs> well, I did. <laughs> kind of. And now I loaded out. <laughs> thank of, you, Charlie. <laughs> out of Reno to, uh, hey, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> no problem. I loaded out of Reno for, for Michigan and I have a load back to Pennsylvania. So, yeah. Good. All right. Okay. okay. I'll call you guys. I'll call you guys later then, Bruce. Right. There you go. All right. Very good. We are going to wrap this up. Let's see. What do we have going on? Don't forget the almond butters are on sale 10% off when you buy monkey brittle. We're trying to get you to try the nut butter on the monkey brittle because once you do, once you do, we have you hooked. We have a customer for life. So we're going to give you a break. We, you know, kind of okay. like drug dealers. They give out free samples to get people hooked. That's kind of what we're doing here. So don't forget, go get your monkey brittle and your nut butters. Tomorrow, um, Bruce, are you, you're taking the magnesium and the yellow sticks, right? No. No? I thought no. I sent that to you. Uh-uh. I gotta send that to you. Magnesium in the yellow stick. Yeah, so magnesium that, is a uh, really interesting. There are so many different forms of magnesium and they do so many different things. Magnesium is good for your heart to keeping it pumping properly. Magnesium is really good for digestion, constipation. If you're uh, lacking the proper form of magnesium, you'll struggle with that. Magnesium is also really important for stress and sleep, but it's a very, very specific form of magnesium. So even though we have several magnesium products in the store, we didn't have a really good formula for sleep. So we went out and found another company, awesome company, they're in Colorado, uh, called Ned. Really small, everything super organic. 
but their their magnesium for sleep is excellent. Uh, and I have the, let me see, Carolyn is joining me tomorrow. She's the educational manager for Ned. So we'll be talking about their companies and their products tomorrow for Destination Health. So you might want to listen to that one. Kevin? Yes. Kevin, you, you did send me three of these. I thought so. Meyer lemon. Mellow, yep. Try magnesium. those. And when do I take this? When uh, do I take this? Uh, later in the afternoon, early evening would be good. Okay. Yeah, give it I'll a, do that. Give that a try. All right. And we'll, uh, if you want to learn more about that, you can listen to the show tomorrow. All right. We will see you then. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.